0: I mean, there's there's an unlimited amount yeah. of stuff we could talk about. Yeah. Listen to all three of these episodes. It's a long, lengthy listen, but it is, this is the best stuff we've ever done on this podcast, I think. This is so valuable.
1: This is the Self-Recording Band Podcast. The show where we help you make exciting records on your own, wherever you are, DIY style. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Self-Recording Band Podcast. I am your host, Benedict Tine, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Malcolm Owen Flood. How are you, Malcolm? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm great as well. Thank you. It's been awesome. um, a great, like, yeah, most of it was great. I told you before about my little (laughs) computer issue I had, but other than that, it was a great day and uh, a great week as well. Awesome. And I'm just Going into my last week of recording next week. I have a drum recording up and coming up. And that will be the last recording project, at least. Wild. That's what's planned. And then I'm just... And before you are wondering, like, I'm not quitting the studio or audio work, but (laughs) I'll only be mixing and mastering from now on. And uh, it's a little weird, to be honest. But we'll see. (laughs) It feels weird at the moment to, like, not have any recording on the calendar and just mixing and mastering but uh i'm really looking forward to it at the same time
0: yeah that's an interesting transition to make not no sorry not interesting because it's a it's something that happens all the time in this field Um, people figure out what area they excel in and and then focus on that exclusively for sure but uh it's uh it's interesting in that recordings what brought you into this world like into this industry so It's hard to step away from the thing that got it all started, I think.
1: Yes, absolutely. And also the recording sessions, as stressful as they usually are, they are the only occasions where I actually meet people in the studio and are not just by myself mixing. Right. So especially in times like these, (laughs) like uh, we're talking like if you're listening to this like two years from now, uh, it's still COVID era and like in, in times like these um especially it's cool to have people around sometimes and those recording sessions were a nice opportunity to do that um at least uh, when it was allowed in these um but <laughs> like yeah but like without that i'm back on my own again which i sort of love but it's also sort of weird i don't know but i'm looking forward to it and uh it's a, it's an exciting transition for sure because now i can really implement all the things i can focus on one thing i can serve my clients better i can uh, improve my craft more. I can really specialize and like mm-hmm. be laser fo- laser focused on on certain tasks, and that's what I'm really really looking forward to. That's that's the whole point of it, and uh, it's it's gonna be cool for sure. Awesome! That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm suddenly pivoting the other way, as I always seem to do. I'm constantly <laughs> doing the opposite of what I think I'm gonna be doing. Um, I'm I've got like a, a 16 song album coming up um, so it's going to be more studio stuff than I've done in ages so I'm excited though it's an amazing band I'm going to hold off and saying who it is for now um, but uh, they are so prepared they are like the, the poster child of this podcast I feel like it's like, they've just done everything we've said and it's so impressive to me <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm stoked
1: yeah that's uh, that that's the best uh, I had that with a mixing project where like the band did really check all the boxes and it turned out just so amazing and, and like yeah I, that's good for you like I hope to I'm curious to to hear what it is in the end and how it's how it sounds like, but
0: yeah, I think we're, that- we're going to be doing a like a hybrid thing where uh, they're going to be handling some of it on their own, and I'm going to be there for some of it. So it's kind of a co production between me and the band. I'm I'm becoming a band member more than anything, I think, um, and then of course I'll be taking the mixes over at the end. Yeah, uh, but like the. The demoing process, like they've just nailed the pre production stuff we've talked about. They've got full fledged multi track demos for every song. If I listen to something and have an idea, I email it to them and they, like, the same day they send back a new version. It's just so, so awesome. Now, I've already got the multi tracks for a song so I can tweak stuff. It's it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's awesome. And also, you can tell that they um, listen to what we say here on the podcast because they actually got help for the things that they can't do themselves perfectly. So, yeah, totally. that's exactly yeah, what we guys. preach and exactly the way to go. So, That's the best combination, I think, when people listen to this podcast or any education like that and then do whatever they can do themselves, but also realize when they can't do something themselves or like when they when someone else can do it better and then they get the knowledge themselves, but still bring on other people to help them. That's the the best thing you can do, the best combination. And yeah. um, so I really, I'm really stoked when that happens. And like, yeah.
0: I already know that the outcome's gonna be great because like that's how you do it. Yep, yeah, it's, it's gonna be fantastic. Um, it would have been fantastic even if we didn't do all this because they're a great band. As, yeah. So like, I would have to screw up pretty bad. But this is gonna be just another level. Um, I think one thing more to say about this that's relevant to the series of podcasts we're doing right now about like the minimum viable requirements for a, a good mix um, once it reaches us. Is that we are doing one song start to finish all together. Um, So I'm handling everything on this one song, the first song, and then that's going to be our baseline for what they need to pull off once they start taking some of the elements on themselves, because they're going to we're going to and we're going to do all of that in like the real deal studio. And then, so say that you have to do vocals at their home studio, they have to make it. Stand up with whatever we capture in the real studio. Like, it's like, if it's not getting to that level, then we got to figure something else out. that's the agreement. So it's like, better is better.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's also the way to do it to just start with one song uh, and like set a standard and like see how you work together, yeah. iron out yep. certain things. Maybe, like, maybe some problems come up and then just find solutions for them. And then once you get to the whole record, it's, it'll be so much smoother and. So yeah. that's also the yeah, way to do it, actually.
0: Three reasons we wanted to do it like that. The, the first was like the fail fast mentality. Um, so if there's something in the system or our workflow or our even personal like connections that doesn't work out, we got to figure that out on the first song, not have it suffer through six songs, right? Yeah. Um, and then the second thing was education. I'm, I'm going to be showing them everything I'm doing so that they can try and take that and apply it as much as they can when they're DIY recording. And then three was that, what I said earlier, the standard of quality is going to be established from that first song.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah. nothing to say about this. This sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, So will keep you posted. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so let's jump to today's episode. You've already said it. We are again doing another part of our series here, and it's on the minimum requirements... And we're basically asking the question of what's good enough and um, what's the standard you should aim for, what are boxes you have to check so that you can make sure that the mix you get back in the end will be amazing and the whole collaboration experience will be good and all that. So we started with part one was um, drums and then we moved on to bass and guitars. And in this part three, we'll cover keys and vocals. And then we basically... You have basically a pretty long pretty extensive in-depth checklist that you can go through and I mean it's it's almost like two and a half or whatever hours of, of content yeah. just on this um, so I think if you really take the time listen to all three of those episodes um, and like maybe refresh whatever you yeah maybe maybe listen again before just before you start recording a project I think you'll be pretty in pretty good shape or pretty well prepared Mm -hmm. and you will have a pretty good checklist that you can take notes yeah exactly okay Great. so when it comes to keys um, that's what we will start with I'm gonna let you do the bulk here because keys is honestly something that I don't do as as often which is funny because I play piano since like I'm five years old or so (laughs) and like so I, I, I know how to capture them and what they sound like and I can yeah but in the, in the real world, like my day-to-day work, I just don't record or mix keys too often. Most of the right. time, it's just a post-production thing where rock bands with like standard arrangements, drums, bass, guitars, vocals, where they will add post-production elements and they will get right. the MIDI or some committed files. And it's just here and there, like a little, you know, like a little, whatever, sub-bass or pad or... Um, some effects, explosions. some drops or some stuff like that, but not as part of the actual band. It's, it's rare that a band I work with has a keyboard player in the band.
0: Right. Yeah, well, maybe let's split this up into keys and post-production. So keys, there's kind of two types we got to talk about here. There is virtual instruments, which is going to be probably what most of us are dealing with. Um, and that's a great thing. They're amazing. It's, it's just truly incredible how great Keys have been pulled off in the digital realm. Um, I've, I've got no problem with digital keys at all. Uh, so we'll start with that. the The thing that you want to do if you're using a virtual instrument um, in your DAW is send the mixer the wet version, so commit that rendering, and then also send them the MIDI. Um, so we get a MIDI file that's labeled piano. And then there's an audio file that's also labeled piano. And that audio file is exactly what you were hearing. And I usually end up using that. But every once in a while, the instrument's just so terrible and unrealistic that I will use the MIDI into my own library of instruments and find something that works a lot better. Um, it, it really just depends on what what it sounds like in the mix. Uh, but if you give us both, you're going to be fine. There's, you're going to have a, a great result from that. No problem. Um I guess just do look over your edits uh, of the MIDI, you know, and make sure there's not like weird, like little mistriggers of notes happening. Um, MIDI keyboards are pretty terrible in almost all cases; like they really track badly. So it's worth just soloing the track and listening to the whole thing, and using your pencil tool in your DAW to clean it up um, just a little bit. It'll it'll go a long way. Yeah. Anything to add to that? Yeah,
1: I agree, and that's that's basically what I wanted to add to this um, when I when we go, went through the outline because. I agree that you should probably send MIDI or you should absolutely send MIDI and audio, just as you would send a DI and an amp or um, like MIDI drums and committed drum instruments if you program drums, so it's just the same thing. But as with the drums, for example, whenever you send MIDI, make sure that it's, it's, it is the final performance, it is edited, and just know that if you haven't made a decision, if you haven't really committed to the sound... And all you're doing is basically, so when the mixer tells you send MIDI, that doesn't mean you should have asked the real tones and then hope that the mixer will come up with a tone for you, choose the instrument, fine-tune the performance or whatever. Because that could happen easily sometimes. If people hear they should also send the MIDI, they're like, oh, well, then I guess um, they'll come up with something that will sound good. Mm. What Malcolm means here, I guess, is that you should still deliver the best thing you can so, and make sure the audio would be usable or be the best it can be um, with whatever you can do and just send the MIDI in in case so that we yeah. could swap like swap out the piano to something better but like not expect Malcolm to choose the thing from the ground up or like to correct your performance or like it's th- that's just really important to point out to you because it could end up being a lot of work if you do that I received projects where I, it was my fault to not communicate that clearly and like I got stuff that was clearly not usable, like the audio. But then we're, they were like, uh, well, here's the MIDI, so just do whatever you think is right. And then it turned out that I would have to spend a whole day getting their MIDI performances to work right. and choosing <laughs> the right instruments. And like, I was basically producing and arranging instead of mixing. And the, yeah. you don't want that to
0: happen. So. No, no. Uh, and yeah, I, I've had a similar arrangement where they sent MIDI and they're like, all right, like, can you use a different string library than what you used? I'm like, well, I only have the one. I'm... I'm not a composer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't have this giant terabyte of uh, of different strings to choose from, um, so I can't. Sorry. Yeah,
1: and also what people might not be aware of, depending on what instrument we're talking. I mean, keyboards or like, it's a, like, yeah, keyboards and strings and stuff like that. It should work, but whenever there are specific articulations that only mm. a certain instrument can do or read, like when there are certain MIDI notes that are specifically on the map for a certain instrument. Then you can't just take that MIDI, put it into another instrument, and it will work the same. So that's also something you have to be aware of. It could end up being a lot of work. And like a band sent me MIDI drums, for example, for um, for a record, and I wanted to use a different library. And then it turned out that they changed the MIDI map for every song on that record. And it was such a pain... To like remap everything for every song and check that a ride is actually a ride and that the, the tom is on the right yeah. MIDI note and then figure out what they used in the first place and, and get the right tr- MIDI map for that. And like it can be such a pain. And if you have strings or even keys, there might be commands or like articulations that your instrument can do, but the one that Malcolm has can't do it or has it differently. And so mm-hmm. there's some communication to be done and... Um, yeah, and don't expect a mixer to have all the sounds in the world because Asma set It's not he's not a composer, so
0: right. Yeah, or the engineer, right? So if you're recording yourself, you are self-engineering. Um, so you need to try and make decisions about what you want that sound to be, and do your best. And the only reason we're going to change it is if it's not working. Yeah. Um, now there was a lot of stuff in there that we just discussed that I don't think we've ever brought up on this podcast before about articulations and MIDI maps and stuff like that. Uh, and we absolutely need to talk about that, but maybe not on this episode. What do you think?
1: I absolutely agree. And you know what? I'm gonna make a note and I'm right. I'm gonna write MIDI like, general, a MIDI episode would be cool. Yeah, MIDI 101. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Let's do that. Awesome.
0: So stay tuned for probably next week <laughs> when we talk maybe. about that. Yeah, I got
1: another idea, but yeah, that might be the one for next week. <laughs> It'll
0: Let's be see. coming soon anyways. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Okay, cool. So anything else you wanna add here? Like when it comes to actually um yeah, just move on, I guess, because uh, yep. that, that's the MIDI part, but there are things like real
0: pianos and real keys or Hammonds or Rhodes or anything like yes. that. Yeah, so in that case, you're actually micing up an instrument, right? Um, or... Ah, there's kind of an in-between here. So let's say you bring in an electric keyboard like a Nord. Everybody knows what a Nord is. They're the super cool red keyboards that every professional seems to use. (laughs) Um, And they sound amazing. So in that case, like the organ in particular, I really love. And so if somebody comes in and has an organ part on a Nord, I'm going to take the audio right out of that and record it right in, like using a, um, like you could just go line in or DI box, whatever you want to do. But get it in from there. So I'm not using MIDI in that case. But what I would recommend to our listeners is to still plug in the USB and capture the MIDI at the same time. Um, Again, that's going to give us the flexibility to use a totally different organ sound if we want. Or use that MIDI to trigger an entirely different instrument um, if you really needed to. So it gives you just a lot of power. But that, again, is a situation where the audio is probably going to be what we're going to use. But there's just no reason not to also grab the USB MIDI information, I think. Yep. Um,
1: It might even lead to... To you having another great idea maybe because if you capture the MIDI along with it uh, and you do what Malcolm just said, use it for to trigger a different instrument, you might do something like, let's say you record a Nord and you play bass notes with your left hand and some chords or like melody with the right hand. You could just look at the MIDI, get rid of the right hand stuff and just send the bass notes to a synthesizer and program a cool bass line below it or... Add yep. an additional layer, an octave down or something, and it will be perfectly in time because you just have to quantize, you know, or like the MIDI is in time with the the audio already and you just have to, you can trigger whatever and you have a, a, a second layer playing along with the audio in perfect sync and you can c- come up with pretty cool sounds there that, and you can only do that with the MIDI. So yeah, no reason not to.
0: That just yeah, opens up I, a lot of creative opportunities, I think. Another huge advantage, say that the arrangement gets changed partway through. Um, Instead of having to re-record the whole organ track, you just ditch the audio file of the organ, throw on a virtual organ onto your MIDI, and reprogram that part of the song, and you are off and running that that easy. Yeah. So after that, we're on to acoustic keys. So things like live organs or pianos um, Rhodes and stuff like that. In that case, you're probably using, I would say generally people gravitate to stereo micing these instruments, um, at least pianos. That's the norm. So uh, the, the first thing is just make sure your phase is good. Um, which can be tricky on such a long instrument. <laughs> um, and the, the other thing, and I'm curious if you've had this, Benny, uh, is that I get distortion in my piano recordings that get sent to me all the time. Um, and I think it's just because it's such a hugely dynamic instrument that people aren't predicting the headroom they'll need. But I'm not positive if that's the case.
1: <laughs> mm, interesting. I haven't had that as often, at least. Um, not that I remember. What might be the cause for that? Maybe they get too close to... Like, Is it with upright
0: pianos or like with grand pianos? Or It could be both, but uprights is actually the one... Now that you mention it, I think uprights is where I most commonly encounter it. Okay, then it's interesting
1: because... I mean, I don't know where people mic those in these cases, but like when I was thinking, if you get too close to the strings, maybe, but even then, it's not a real like super loud instrument. I don't, I don't really know what
0: what causes that. Uh, yeah, well, anyways, the like the moral of the story is just record quieter than you think with a piano. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, just be prepared because you you can be so soft and, and then really hammer, so it's like a huge dynamic range as possible. Um, I think that might be uh, the issue and a huge amount of frequency as well, right? So if you sound check on like some thinner trebling notes and then you drop down to this huge bass chord it's going to be pretty dramatically different um so be pre- prepared for that make sure it's in phase and again if it should sound good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? if it doesn't sound good to you we're not going to be able to make it sound good yeah um, now things with like leslie's uh again it's normally like a, a top and bottom mic just again go for like a measure off your distances try and make them the same and make sure the phase seems to be great um, it's a, there's a lot of trial and error in that but uh, just do do your best phase is gonna be like the, the biggest thing you can control I think in, in that situation
1: Hey friend, this is Benedict from the theselfrecordingband.com and if you are producing your own songs I have a question for you Do you ever listen to your music and feel like something is just off? Maybe the drums sound weak or the guitar tone bothers you, maybe the vocals don't really cut through the mix, or the whole thing just doesn't sound finished and professional but you can't really put your finger on it. I know you want to release big punchy professional sounding songs, right? The type of authentic unique art that connects with your audience on a deep level. But you're just not sure what's missing with your recordings. Somehow you just can't connect all the dots. And I get it, the amount of things to learn and all the conflicting information out there can be really overwhelming especially if you're a lone wolf trying to figure it all out on your own, right? Now here's the good news. Whether you've been self-recording for years or you're just setting up your first home studio, I want to offer you my personal one-on-one help. As long as you are determined to put in the work, I'm offering a limited amount of free one-on-one coaching calls with me. On this hour-long call, we'll dive deep into your recordings and create a personalized roadmap for you to finally solve the issues you're struggling with so that you can release music that you'll be proud of forever. If you are ready to see and believe that it's actually possible to achieve your goals and make the records you've always wanted to make, then go to theselfrecordingband.com slash call and apply for one of my limited coaching spots. I can assure you that making exciting and successful DIY records is very doable. We've done it, lots of other people have done it, you can do it as well. Talk soon, theselfrecordingband.com Slash call. Yeah, I think so. Um, and like, I keep reading the this note here on our outline because it says, and Malcolm wrote this. It says, make sure things are in phase and plenty of headphone on things like piano. <laughs> <laughs> Headroom. I think you mean headroom, headroom. Yeah, but I kept reading this line and I'm like, what, head, plenty of headphone? <laughs> yeah, always keep plenty of headphone on the piano. So yeah. uh, that's rule number one. But like, yeah, the the headroom and the the face especially, yeah, I totally agree. It's like the only thing you really have to worry about and you you can't really do anything about that in, in post or not as easy. Like you can align two kick drum mics pretty easily. You can make do a lot of things with like transit instruments, but on a piano it can get really tricky because some notes... Might be more in phase than others, and it might be no, whatever you do, you might end up with a chorusy, weird phasey sound if you don't get the yep. mic positioning right. So, yeah, I when in doubt, when it comes to pianos, I'd suggest trying one of the classic like stereo miking techniques that gives you pretty perfect phase. So try maybe an XY or an ORTF or something mm-hmm. that gets you close to a perfect phase, because a, sp- a spaced pair might capture all the the notes perfectly and give you a wide image, but there's also the chance of like phase problems so only maybe do that if you really know what you're doing i don't know that's hard yeah. to give advice here just just check for phase
0: basically it really is because the like the difference between an xy and a space pair on a piano sounds so incredibly different yeah it's, it's really a tricky instrument to actually tech um yeah and it has to be teched with the song in mind i think that's that's the big thing which actually brings me to another point a few episodes back we talked about thinking about the panning um, arrangement of your productions as you write the song or record. Um, so like, where is this piano going to live in the mix? Is it going to be up the middle? Is it going to be this wide stereo thing? Or is it going to be off to the side? If it's going to be like a hard panned element, then don't stereo mic it. Just just throw one up and, and figure out that, that best spot for one mic. And, True. you know, um, because we do default to trying to mic it stereo because it is a very stereo instrument Um, but if the production is not going to look like that then there's no reason to to give us that that information yeah
1: but for this episode i think we shouldn't dive too much into actually making keys we should just talk about the stuff that's the most uh, like that has to be avoided and in that in this case it's like face issues and distortion because of lack of headroom can agree on that and I wonder why there is. I think there is one thing missing on this list, but maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe it's not. It's not been an issue for you. What about tuning with acoustic pianos? Mm-hmm. Because yep, that's to, to me that's a really big one. Because it's not that you just go and tune before every take or whatever. It has to be in tune, and you have to do like you have to maintain a piano. You have to do to tune it every once in a while or get a person into tune it because it's actually pretty not easy to do it's not like tuning a guitar so piano setup can be difficult and expensive also sometimes depending Mm -hmm. on like if you have to bring someone in who can do that and spend a couple of hours on that um yeah, but it's necessary and and sometimes there are two sorts of tuning issues. Sometimes the thing is just audibly out of tune and you might not really notice it if you don't have the experience or the trained ear. So the piano itself in itself might have issues and sometimes it might sound well on its own, but once you put it together with everything else, maybe it doesn't work with your precisely tuned guitars and basses and like you can't put it together because the acoustic piano is just slightly off and whatever you do, it just doesn't work. I had that happen. So on its own, it sounded fine, but I just couldn't put it in the arrangement with everything else because it was just not spot on. So I don't know. Did you have that or is that an issue
0: for you? Oh, I can't believe I didn't even think to write that down. Yeah, that's that's absolutely crucial. Um, If you can't, if the idea of spending... Hundred to three hundred dollars on getting your piano teched up before you record that song doesn't seem worth it. Use a virtual instrument, (laughs) yep. Um, and even still, like old uprights, which is what everybody seems to have, um, even after a good tune are still like pretty imperfect most of the time, like they've just been neglected for years, usually because everybody finds a free piano and thinks they can fix it up, yeah. Um, and again, they sound Often really awesome on their own, but it's the the compounded effect gets pretty bad. And there's been more than one occasion where we've recorded an acoustic piano and ended up re-recording a, a VST version later in the process because we've just been like, this is not working. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So just l- watch out for that, and uh, and maybe. Maybe have something, I mean, it depends on when you record it, like you probably have some other instrument recorded before you do piano, so you have a reference. If you don't have a reference and you start with the piano, but plan on adding something else later, then absolutely program a reference and check if it's really in tune. There's no way around yeah. that. And, and get it tacked up before you record, definitely. Definitely. Don't yeah. forget, it's just a string instrument. It's, like it's the same same principles apply as with other string instruments as with guitars and bass. You don't tune it as often, but it's just strings on a huge piece of wood. <laughs> and you yeah. and it moves and changes over time, and you
0: have to maintain it and tune it. I have a story to tell. Yeah. Uh, so when my band did a record at the warehouse, I can't even remember who told me this. I think it was probably the house engineer. Um, a guy named Zach Blackstone, I think. He was a great dude and great engineer. But Elton John did a, a record there. Um, so this whole team shows up and they roll in this piano that they've brought specifically for Elton John. And it's this grand piano with MIDI built into it. Um, and essentially, he's able to play the part and then it can replicate that performance back Literally moving the keys, so replaying what he pressed. Like the keys are moving again without him. It's that It's yeah, that the Yamaha thing, game. right? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so he they set up and tech this piano. He shows up whenever, plays it once, and says, "All right, do what you need to do," and leaves. <laughs> 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 Literally played it once, <laughs> and, and I'm sure it was awesome. It's but so then they, awesome. you know, like it's this crazy situation because at first I was like, well, like. Are they going to like edit the MIDI? And I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But the the cooler thing is that now they can just move the mics around as the yes. performance just keeps happening and retaking. And they could have different parts with different miking setups. And that performance is is Elton. He's locked in there now. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. If you wanna if
1: you wanna see what what Malcolm's talking about, I think it's called the Yamaha Disclavier. Is
0: it called like that? I think I I don't know. Well, we say Yamaha.
1: Oh Yam- Yamaha, yeah Yamaha, but yeah. this this clavier, or at least the German name is is that I put that. No, it's also English. I think this clavier, it's it's um, spelled. There are plenty of videos on YouTube, and uh, it's an auto play. It's also called Yamaha autoplay, I think. And oh, okay. so if you want to look at that, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, but well, that's a that's a funny story. But in fact, like. Why not? I mean, as you said, you can change the performance because you can change the MIDI and then you can also change the mic. So really no need to play it more than once.
0: (laughs) As long as he's cool
1: as he's cool with someone like messing with the performance. I mean, why not? Yeah. (laughs)
0: And uh, I mean, he's he's like one of the best ever. So I'm sure it was an amazing performance. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully, that was okay to tell Zach. <laughs> <If> you, in fact, <laughs> told me the story. <laughs> it's not like a, a secret of, of the warehouse studio. <laughs> be, be prepared for the lawsuit. Like Elton John's
1: uh, lawyer will come at you now that you've yeah. told about that. The out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a funny story. And uh, it's such a cool concept, actually. And uh, yeah, I mean. It's like reamping a piano. Yes, yeah. exactly. me. Totally. With the ability to change the performance before. So it's like, yeah, awesome. Cool. Very cool. Okay, so yeah, the tuning. um, What else is on the list for keys? Post-pro. Oh, post-pro. Yes, 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 yes.
0: Post-production is stuff like, to me anyways, is stuff like bass drops, you know, sub-drop, and like explosions going off and risers, kind of stuff like that. Um, And, you know, maybe sometimes like pads, like eerie kind of ambiences could be included in that category. Um, and that stuff is almost always the last thing to go on <laughs> for me. It's like, all right, we've recorded all of the ar- like arrangement as it was written. Now, how can we spice it up? And that's where post pro comes into the equation. Um, that's not always the case. Sometimes there's like a post pro person in the band that's always thinking about that. But generally it's like, all right, let's kind of spice things up with some extra, extra sauce. Yeah, And again, you just want to send us exactly what you intend to hear. Don't expect the mixer to have a, a huge amount of post-pro stuff. They're going to like spend hours on damping up your song. That said, I do that. <laughs> I love that. I like really love that process and it only works on certain songs. Um, yeah. You know, like it has to be the right genre for me to feel inspired to do that. Um And I have to have a certain level of trust with the band to feel like I'm allowed to do that as well. I think I, I'll, like if I, get the impression that I'm not meant to creatively add anything. I'm not going to probably go for it. But generally, if I have an idea, I feel like I can spice it up and add in some cool cool stuff like that. Um, But it should definitely be thought of and addressed before it reaches a mixer.
1: Yes. And I think the biggest pitfalls here are, I mean, same things applies with all the MIDI keys things that we talked about. Maybe you don't have to send all the MIDI in for that because usually you can commit those sounds and just put it in there. And if it doesn't work, you could, could just send a note and say, hey, I'm not sure about this sound. If you have something better that does the same job, f- feel free to use it, you know, like, um, or f- f- feel free to change it. Maybe something like that. But I think the biggest pitfalls are not thinking about that at all because you think it's cheesy or not, doesn't fit your genre whatever. I think you should still try. And if it doesn't work, you can just delete it. But I think you should be open to try whatever can make the songs better. So that's the number one thing. And then I think <laughs> maybe... I mean, there are really no rules for this. It's like such a creative thing. Maybe the mm-hmm. the other pitfall or the other mistake that people make is don't expect it to be just part of the mixing because if you want a mixer to do a lot of this, it's just an extra step. I mean, yep. there's no, no problem like adding a sub drop here and there or whatever, but like if you want the mixer to do the whole post-production job, it's a different job. It's like an additional
0: service. And There are people that do that as a specialty, and you should consider hiring them. They're amazing. Like when I hear tracks like, wow, what's Gabe's name? Gabe Uh, Carabella. Oh, my God. I think
1: I just he, changed his name, but I think that that
0: Gabe Carabello. I think you're pretty much right. Um, I hope he hears this and laughs at us. Yeah. <laughs> but like, His stuff is so cool. Every time I, he posts something, I'm like, wow, you're so creative. And those sounds are like sounds I've never heard before. And he's like the kind of guy that can make those sounds from scratch, right? With like, literally build them um, rather than just pull from like a library. And uh, yeah, that can really, if your song suits that kind of vibe, it can really be amazing agreed I mean I think that's basically it there's still one
1: thing with the whole keys category that we haven't talked about but I think it's Uh. the same mistakes can be made as with guitars uh, and that is the category of keys that are um, connected to some sort of speaker because you might have like a I don't know. Maybe there is a Rhodes, like or like analog stuff that's connected to a speaker, and you want to mic that speaker, or you have like a, a lastly cabinet or whatever. So, I mean, same principles apply as with other things you mic, like when you whenever you mic a speaker. So that could be another situation with keys. Right. But in that case, just treat it as you would a guitar amp, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um. All right. Should we jump into vocals? Yes. Totally. Okay. The biggest thing is don't clip, which is again, it's like piano. It's a very, very dynamic instrument and people constantly underestimate how loud somebody's going to get once they're excited and singing. Um, so <laughs> whenever you do a sound check and you dial in your vocalist's level, turn it down like a couple more notches after you've found what they're at. Because as soon as they start, they're going to be louder. I guarantee it. It's like a, a drummer with a snare drum are like, all right, hit your snare like you're going to be playing it and you get a level and then you turn it down one more because they're going to hit it harder as soon as they start playing. <laughs> Hopefully, actually. yeah. <laughs> um, so, just be ready for that. Um, And then, I think you added this, Benny, but make sure there isn't a bunch of room sound in the recording. And that's a very common thing is people underestimating room sound um, because if you're DIY recording, you're probably not necessarily having access to a compressor while you record. So, you might think that the room sound isn't that big of a deal, but once you start piling on the processing that is common for a vocal and mixing, all of that room ambience really comes forward. So you want to err on the the dead side of a vocal, I think.
1: Agreed. Uh, absolutely agreed. And um, you, you got to really know what you're doing and you got to really love the space you're in if you want to have it on the recording. We have a good discussion on that uh, in our Facebook community, by the way. Uh, So if you go to com slash community, that will take you to the Facebook group, which is free. And if you join that, there is a discussion going on because someone asked about like vocal room ambience and what to do about it because he was thinking about whether you should build a vocal booth or use like one of these portable mic screen things or... If there are other other solutions, if it matters at all, if you should just rather spend uh, the money on, on recording gear instead, and people chimed in and gave good advice, so you might want to check that out. And the conclusion there basically was, as Malcolm said, get rid of the room sound if if at all possible, and also um, maybe like also it's it is important to do that before the recording gear, even like I would I would find a spot in your in your jam space or wherever you record. That just works, and would invest in that because you don't have to invest much. You can do it yourself with little, very little financial effort. And like, I would do that before I would spend money on anything else. Uh, like, as long as you have some mic and interface, I would tackle the recording, uh, the 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 ambience of the room, acoustics mm-hmm. first before I would invest into anything else because a better mic will just pick up more of the crappy room, and it's like, or like you know. So, um, yeah, chime in like. Check that out. Jo- join the Facebook uh, community and see the great advice there. Because it's too much to put into this episode, but there was great advice on how to actually build these things, what to avoid, what to what like best practices are. But just know that is one of the biggest mistakes I think, and one of the most common things that we have to to battle when we mix is like a, a room that's not sounding good. That's on Definitely. a vocal track.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. We, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could keep talking about that, but we Yeah, yeah to. absolutely. Like, okay,
1: uh, too much variance in uh, proximity to Mike makes it hard to make cohesive. Cool.
0: That's a word we say differently. Oh, too much variance.
1: Very, yeah, I think you're right.
0: Uh, <laughs> you're obviously right. Uh,
1: variance. Maybe. Yeah, variance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always, um, if, if there are words in German that are similar but we pronounce it differently uh, then that happens so we have a word yeah. like that and like it's just pronounced differently those are the the, the cases where this
0: happens to me the most yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah so uh yeah this is this is a great point um if you're constantly moving further and closer away from the microphone which i mean i can kind of do right now but on a dynamic microphone it's not as bad um, on a large diaphragm condenser which is most people are often recording vocals into it really is an issue um the the tonal characteristics of your voice and actually that signal to noise ratio of like the room in your voice is going to change really dramatically as you get further and closer to the mic um so i don't know if we've mentioned like when you get loud, instead of backing up from the microphone, try and just aim off of the microphone. Have we ever talked about that?
1: I don't. Maybe we have in the vocal episode. I'm not quite sure, but it's a great one. It's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The idea being that you're still the same distance from the mic. Um, you're just not hitting it full blast because you're aiming just off the side of it, um, and that's going to lead to a more cohesive tone because that that's not changing at all. The proximity stays the same. Um, so yeah, the, yeah. Let's not go too long on that. Just try and keep the proximity. To the microphone, the same. I always like tell people to mark where their toes are. And then I use like the hang loose symbol to varying degrees <laughs> for uh, like a hand distance to the pop filter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. There is something I want to say, I want to add here because the proximity effect only happens with like directional mics. So if you have mm-hmm. um, a cardioid or figure of eight or anything like that, that's going to have the proximity effect, meaning more bass when you get closer. There is a way to work around that other than um, like keeping the same distance and that is you could use omnidirectional mics if the room allows for that because you're going to pick up a lot of room and omnidirectional condensers um, especially so that means that you don't have a proximity effect and you can move more freely in front of the mic if that's what you need to do in order to to make the performance feel great and there's another great tip here there are omnidirectional dynamic mics that don't pick as much up of the room because they are less sensitive when you move further away so you don't have the proximity but you still need to keep some consistency in the distance but not as much as with like directional mics there is for example like the Sennheiser MD21 not 421 but 21 it's like a broad like it, i think it was like a one of these reporter um, broadcast whatever mics that they used back in the day and, um, or like in conferences on a table, you see them sometimes and they are omnidirectional dynamic mics. And I heard a little, and I, I, I thought of that because I heard a story on a podcast, um, recently where I think it was about Björk, you know, Björk, the, the artist, Yeah, yeah. where she just had to move in front of the mic because like, she's that sort of an artist and a person. She just hmm. ca- couldn't stand still in front of the mic. So they had this issue where if she would sing, and also if she would sing louder, her voice would totally sound different than when she would sing quieter, and like you know, you had all the, like too much variance in like the bass part of, of right. her voice. So they tried the omnidirectional dynamic thing, and it just worked perfectly and evened out all of the issues in that case. So just a little tip here: if your room allows for that, or if you have a really dead corner in your room that you can use, maybe try an omnidirectional condenser or even one of those dynamics. They aren't too expensive,
0: so. Just Yeah, that's a great idea. I feel like that's a word that I say wrong that you say right. Um, Bjork is what I've always said, but I think you're right. (laughs) Okay, yeah, whatever. (laughs) It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, but I'm I'm, I'm just like, oh, that's how you say that word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah, no, you have, you can choose. (laughs) She's Icelandic, isn't she? I think so. Yeah, okay, so if we have an Icelandic listener, please chime in. Oh my God, I think I just destroyed our notes somehow. What happened? That's <laughs> no, just oh, no. it's fine. I think it's fine. Does it look fine for you?
1: I think so. Yeah, anyway. um, Yeah, proximity, <laughs> uh, variance in proximity
0: is an issue. So m- let's move on. All right. Make sure you use a pop filter. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I even use a pop filter on the dynamic mic I'm talking into right now. It just sounds cleaner. <laughs> you can't really screw up by using one. There are people that are like, you lose a little bit of high end, but there's never... A lack of high end on a vocal. Like, I mean, you end up adding some, but it's not like it's dull, right? Uh, if you're doing a halfway decent job. So use a pop filter as a default, um, especially and always with a condenser.
1: Yes. Nothing more to add to that. Yeah. I even use like the huge, like I'm talking to SM7 right now, uh, and it's not a dynamic, uh, not a condenser, but it, like, I always had pop uh, noise issues with it. So I use the big windscreen that comes with it, not the standard mm-hmm. one, but the big one, for that same reason. So even if it's not a yeah. condenser, I just try to avoid it at all costs. So
0: yeah, I, I just think not having those big puffs are more natural than whatever the pop filter or foam introduces. Yes, um, it, the trade-off is so worth it. Yes, even if it's just once in a song.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, that brings us to another noise issue, which is or like not noise, but um, stuff that's not supposed to be. Um, in the in the recording too much and that's sibilance so mm. your S's and like s- yeah sibilant noises your mouth makes are really an issue sometimes and most of the time it's because people only have one mic and they don't they cannot choose the right mic for the voice because I think especially when it comes to sibilance mic choice is so key and like some mics work perfectly with certain vocalists and others just don't um, and yeah but if you if you're stuck with whatever you have and you can't change it then mic positioning can solve that for you. So play with the angle, right. play with the mic position, try to get rid of, of the S's and the harsh stuff as much as possible because this can really be a pain later on in the mix. And you might not notice during recording because it might sound fine to you, but once it gets compressed and we want to EQ a little air into it, like a little top end and all these things, these things can chump out very quickly and very, like, in a not pleasant way. So um, stuff that's not, That might not be so obvious in the raw recording might become obvious in the mix and become a real issue here. So I'd always go for the darker side when in doubt and then push some air in the mix instead of recording something
0: with a really, really bright
1: mic that might be too
0: sibilant. Agreed. Totally agreed. Um, Too much gain on a cheap preamp. This is a a good point because most self recording bands are using the built in preamps on their interface and sometimes they're. A little cheap, <laughs> uh, but they're they're amazingly good at the same time. Like we we are very lucky at this time of technology, where the budget preamps are pretty great. Where they suck is when they're turned up quite a bit. They they perform much better when they're not maxed out um, or close to maxed out. Even so, again, take advantage of being able to record quietly. Just turn it up in your DAW with the fader instead of using the um, the preamp gain, and uh, or there are things called a fathead or a cloud lifter, and I'm sure there's some other solutions out there. But they are inline gain boosts, so you plug them in between your interface. So from the mic into one of these into your interface, and that gives you some extra gain, so you don't have to run the preamp as hot. That goes a long way for sure. the The Focusrite scarlet is the one that I encounter whenever there's one of these, like a, a preamp that's been turned up too much. I, I ask, and it's almost always a Focusrite Scarlett. <laughs> I'm like, I know that sound. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and the truth is that most of the cheap interfaces of the same price range share the same chips, the same preamps. So whether it's a Scarlett uh, or the Steinberg interface that I have or some others, I'm not sure which of these have exactly the same, but I know that most of these um, share the exact same technology inside. Like it's just stock components in that price range that they all use. So right. they all have this issue. I have the the issue with mine. I'm recording into a cheap two-channel Steinberg interface here and my fat head is actually broken and I need to get a new one or repair it. So I'm not using it right now. And if I don't use like RxD noise on my recordings for this podcast, it would be pretty, pretty noisy. And you probably, you might even notice compared to older episodes where my fat head was working <laughs> that the mm-hmm. last couple of episodes were a little noisier. I did get right. rid of most of it, but it's a noticeable difference right away, and it's exactly the issue Mike Malcolm describes.
0: Yeah, I I find it's not even just the noise floor; it's also like like a harshness to kind of everything <laughs> that no. like like transients just get uglier. Um, and so, why does this happen? Why do you have to turn up your gain so much that that you need a fed head and a cloud lifter? We should mention that it's just some mics don't have enough gain themselves. So. Um, like an SM7B, for example, requires a lot of gain to get up to volume. Um, so if it was on a drum kit, which is a very loud instrument, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be worried really. But on a a voice, which can't go as loud as drums, you end up trying to make up for it with, with your preamp. And that's where the situation arises. Yes. So probably not a problem with like condenser microphones. Nope. Agreed. Um, all right.
1: Yeah. Don't get too close. Um, I mean, that's that can cause a lot of issues. Um, don't get too close is on that list because if you do get too close, you can have too much proximity effect, so it can be too bassy. You can get too many like plosives, harsh s's, like the air of like coming out of your mouth goes directly into the capsule and like full blast, and it's gonna can distort it can even like you could in theory at least you could even destroy your condenser mic if you like really blow into it and like so yeah um yeah just don't get too close it's gonna sound more natural more balanced less boomy and um you don't have you you're gonna have less issue with with like weird noises that your mouth makes
0: basically (laughs) right yeah clean up the pre and postural sounds of your takes um so that means you know you start recording you hit record and the singer's listening to the course and they're kind of there humming along until they start singing on the verse. And then you send us these files that have like just 20 seconds of noise while they were waiting to sing of them like breathing and blowing their nose and stuff like that. (laughs) And it takes a lot of time for the mixer to clean that up and that should have been done before it got to the mixer. So what all of the space where they're not singing needs to kind of be looked at and trimmed out. Um, That can even be depends on the sound you're looking for but sometimes that means taking out breaths in like the middle of sentences and stuff like that you know um I think if you're really producing your vocals, every breath should be left or taken out intentionally.
1: Yeah, and you said left or be taken out, and that's exactly what you should do. So there's no recipe to do it every single time, because some people mm. say you always need to like get rid of all the breaths. No, don't do that. And some nope. say always leave them in. No, that's not right as well. <laughs> leave mm. those in that are helping the emotion and the song and get rid of those that do nothing for the song, basically. And okay. uh, you always have to decide whatever is the case. but make it intentionally and yes, clean up all of that stuff. I consider that part of editing and editing is always a step that should happen with vocals. So just after you've recorded, make sure to clean up correct timing, correct tuning to the, to the degree that's right for the song, obviously. Yeah. And then send it to mix, to mixing, making sure that there's nothing in there that's not supposed to be in there. It's all about intention.
0: Yeah. So a situation I had recently was there was a lot of this pre-roll noise in in the the vocal performances. And there was a couple moments where the singer, like, mixed among this pre-roll noise, would do, like, a little hype sound. Like, yeah. And, like, stuff like that, you know? Like, and I thought he was just kind of getting jacked up ready to sing. So I cleared it all out. Turns out a few of those were meant to actually be in the performance, but, like, it didn't seem like it to me because it's kind of just mixed in with, like, again, blowing his nose and kind of just, like, adjusting, getting ready to sing and stuff like that. Um, So they kind of just wasted some time and, and burned up a revision. So... If it had been cleaned and, you know, there's like hard silence on either side of that, yeah, I would be like, okay, that's obviously meant to be there. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. By the way, that yeah. same thing is true
1: for guitars. Um, mm. Just side note, like you can have things like noise from plugging in the guitar or amp noise, hums, feedback, whatever, that can all be there intentionally or Accidentally, and we don't know often as a mixer, it's exactly the same thing. We might get rid of all that stuff, and then the band's like, Well, that one feedback should be in there, or that amp noise in between that break is actually cool, you know. But just make sure it's intentional and we don't have to question these things.
0: Uh, yeah, cause sometimes it's not as easy as just rolling back the clip to get it back. If we've Ooh, yeah. committed some stuff, it's like, you know, that could eat up a half hour real easy. Yep. Um, now I'm gonna let you handle this next one, Benny, because okay. you know more about it than I do.
1: Okay, the intonation problems in screams and dirty vocals um, that cannot be tuned easily. Yeah, that's an issue. Um, because in the heavier genres or like even in rock music sometimes, when people do mm-hmm. this mix of like scream or and singing, like not um, one after the other, but like people sing in a way that they almost scream, you know, like really like rough, dirty, loud vocals. Sometimes your tuning software, like Melodyne or AutoTune or whatever, cannot detect that very well. And um, so, what this software does is it detects the notes you're singing, and they show up as like blobs, like just like MIDI notes on a on a on a key map, basically. And then you can take those blobs and move them to the note where they're supposed to be if they are out of tune. And with really rough, like distorted or like dirty vocals this sometimes doesn't work very well because the software just can't detect the pitch properly. And w- so I always advise people who sing like that and want their vocals tuned afterwards that they should be very careful with those parts and make sure the intonation is as spot-on as possible because we might not be able to tune them. There mm. are usually ways to do it, but it might be it might take a lot of effort. It might take a lot of time. It's not as easy. And sometimes it's not doable at all. So... Don't just think, well, that take... But usually I'm on the... Because usually my opinion is the energy is more important than the intonation because you can always fix the intonation. In these cases, you have to be more careful because if you think, well, that take has so much energy and that scream was so cool, but it was totally out of tune, but that doesn't matter because they can fix it anyways, that might not be true in this case. So um, whenever you have a very rough, very distorted vocal Um, Be careful and at least record an option that's like maybe with with a good intonation or something. Just know that it might be a problem. Yeah.
0: That's why it's like a little side tangent that like the Bring Me Horizon architect style bands that are doing a lot of that sing, scream, pitched, scream stuff is so impressive. Yeah. Like they are nailing that. It sounds like it sounds hard tuned and maybe there is some tuning help there, but like despite what people might think, it had to be really close to sound like that. Yes. They either nailed it or are so close to nailing it for it to sound that perfect. And (laughs) again, singing and screaming, like it's not something you can do for hours and hours on end. So they must have just put so much time into getting that product. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Okay, cool. Then the next one, uh, kind of like we touched on that in the last um, point, actually. So, lack of energy and vibe. Um, Yeah. What else can we say here? It's like some just. Get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because especially with vocals, it's just so important. You are the instrument or the vocalist is the instrument. And as we said, like sometimes it's the wrong guitar for the job or the wrong whatever instrument or you need to take care of your instrument. You maintain it. And if you are the instrument, the same thing holds true. So you got to make sure that the instrument itself is in good shape. You got to feel good. You got to have the energy. You got to. Yeah, it's just It's, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but some like two vocal performances that are both in tune and in time, and like everything's perfect. One can bring you to tears, and the other one can't, like, won't touch you at all. So, right, it's all about vibe, energy, feeling. It's so important with vocals, and more important than anything else.
0: Yes, yeah, totally agree. Headphone bleed, good one. Uh, just be aware of it that it shouldn't be a problem. Um, especially the metronome. <laughs> I, I normally turn off the metronome, actually, for vocalists. But um, if it's still in there, it's it's quite low. Like, pretty much, it only needs to be... You should only notice it on those parts that, like, everything else, kind of, like, the drums disappear in the song and stuff like that, you know? Um, so, it's... You, shouldn't be a risk of that bleeding through. But you know, uh, where this becomes a problem is maybe people aren't aware that the headphones they're wearing are open ear headphones um mm-hmm. where they bleed a lot and stuff like that. So just, you know, watch out for that. Also make sure there's not uh another set of headphones in the room. Like so if you were tracking a band right before you moved on to vocals with multiple headphone sets in the room and then you go on to tracking vocals, but that other person's headphones are still like at their station, just blaring out music, <laughs> that's a problem.
1: Yep. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, actually. I must admit, it happened to me quite a while, like, when yep. we did, like, gang vocals, and then we were like, oh, you know what, let's do that one lead part again, and then the lead singer goes in there and does it, and all the other four pairs of headphones in the room are still full-on, you know, from the gang vocal yep. session, and I just forgot to turn them down. So that can, that can easily happen. So watch out Definitely for that. Be aware. I noticed that sometimes when people do gang vocals or group vocals of any sort, that they sometimes do it with a huge group of people and they are very far away from the mic and they might only do like two takes because there are already a lot of people in there. And a, a couple of issues can come from that. First of all, if if it's like a singing part and some people just are not singing in tune, it's impossible to tune that. Like you can't isolate right. the single voice in a huge group of people easily and it can be really distracting and weird to have that in there. The second reason is the more people you have, probably the f- the further away you go from the mic. So more room, if the room doesn't sound good, more issues. Sometimes it just sounds like a, I don't know, like a basement or like clearly not good. And it's, yeah, more room issues. And also you might need more takes than you think you need to be able to make it really wide and to like get, like yeah. get a cool stereo image and everything. So just, I'd rather do smaller groups of people and more takes than like having 15 people in front of a mic or whatever. So, right. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, quickly run me through what you kind of gravitate towards as a setup.
1: Um, I mean, if it's the typical scenario where it's the band themselves doing the gang vocals and they're four or five people and maybe they bring in two friends or whatever sometimes, then I'd suggest, I, I mean, in my studio, it's, it's pretty um, convenient for me if I have four people because I have a dedicated, like, four channel headphone preamp that's close to where they usually stand so I try to get them in, in groups of four people um, and I do at least like at the very least depending if they want to like have this huge stadium like vocal or if they have want to have it sound like just the band you know that's always um, you always have to ask the question by but I have this, this group of four people do at least four takes so I have two left and two on the right side right and then I ask if, for if that's if, if that's enough or if we should do another pair. So I always have pairs so that I can like spread them out in yeah. the stereo field. And if Your there powers. is like eight people, I just separate them into two groups and have four people do it and then the other four people do it. And sometimes I end up with four takes, sometimes it's eight takes, sometimes it's even more. And if I want to create the illusion of really a lot of people, but I don't have a lot of people in the room, I try to mix it up every time uh, we do another take. So I... I might rearrange the people so one person Mm -hmm. gets closer to the mic another one steps back a bit I might um, change the position in the room slightly or whatever I just try to make it as different as possible yeah and do whatever I can um, to make it dense and sound like more people but what about distance Uh, from uh, the mic um, usually as close as possible but still so that the the people are still evenly like uh, distributed Mm -hmm. like you know so you have to have some distance so that every voice is like so that it's just an even balance yeah but i don't want too much room in the the gangs and like i never like that i would rather add some reverb or room later but i i hate it when they're too far away and you can't get the room out of the gang vocal um tracks yep. so i try to get as close cool. as possible but still maintain a, ba- a balance between the individual voices
0: yeah uh this is actually worth mentioning i Find that bands make this mistake where they think anybody can be on the gang vocal. Mm. And good gang vocals have good singers. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. The best ones I've heard, I think I, my buddy's band brought in like all the best singers they know for their gang vocal session. And it's like, oh, these are sick. Like, <laughs> yes. These are really well projected. There's like tone in each voice there and they're all nailing the pitch. Like, that makes a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Also, it helps when they have a feeling for what they are capable of and what they're not capable of. Because sometimes, mm. if they know what they're doing, sometimes, a one person will be like, well, that part, I just can't nail that high note. So I'm just not going to do that. I just join you for the next thing, you know, and they'll skip that part. If they don't, if they're not aware of that, they try to nail it, but it will sound horrible. So uh, like that helps. And also some people sing significantly louder than others. And if they're aware of that, they can arrange themselves like in the room that way. So they can step back a bit. A quieter person can move forward a bit. So It just helps if you have people in the room who sort of know what they're doing and are good vocalists. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: With you. All right. Uh, So doubles. We've talked about doubles quite a bit recently. Um, They are meant to be the same as lead vocal and they are meant to be the same as each other. And that's, again, another misconception that happens a lot. Normally when we talk about doubles, there's meant to be two doubles. So you have your center lead vocal and then a left double and a right double. Um, So doubles come in pairs. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Everything other than your lead vocal comes in pairs. Um, And Sometimes even threes. I've, I've definitely been on projects where there's a center, a left, and a right of every every darn vocal line. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Agreed. <laughs> but uh, they're meant to be the same. They're meant to be identical. So that's the whole point, right? So it's not the place to get creative. Just do a different vocal uh, line altogether if you want to have variances go in. But then again, double it. It just We want to have balance available to us. Um, so that's the key there.
1: Absolutely. And also label it correctly because what I often Mm. have is like when people send me stuff I give them instructions on how to label the tracks and when they call a track double I assume it's exactly the same and I'm going to prep the session and like label the track as double and uh, I'm I'm, I'm trying to use it as that and when I then in the mix figure out that it's not actually a double but a harmony or whatever then I got to rearrange things, reroute things you know so label things like doubles, harmonies backing vocals, ad libs, stuff that's in between, you know, like all these things, label them in a way that makes sense for a stranger when they look at the session. Because if something says double, we assume it's just an alternative, like another take of the same thing.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that's it. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's there's an unlimited amount of stuff we could talk about, but we definitely hit more than, like, if you get most of those, we're going to be in really good shape. Um, Again, Listen to all three of these episodes. It's a long, lengthy listen, but it is this is the best stuff we've ever done on this podcast. I think we're this is so valuable.
1: I think, I think so. It's some of the best stuff for sure. Also, I want to let you know that, um, some of these things we get our our ideas sometimes for these episodes from the community or from the emails we get from you. So, if you and I I got a lot of, of like emails lately from subscribers. Uh, where they answered the question that I always send to new subscribers. So if you're one of those people and you've sent me an idea for the show or a problem you're having, just, I want you to know that I write all of these down on a list and I will discuss that with Malcolm and we will eventually turn it into an episode or into content. So just be patient, just know that we we hear you, we listen to you, and that many of these um, things, of these ideas, come from our community of listeners and subscribers and community members. So appreciate that input a lot. That being said, what we also appreciate is if you would, if you like share this podcast with your friends, uh, with other bands, band members you know, with your own bandmates. So if you get something out of these episodes, if you like uh, what we do here, if you think it's valuable, just share it with your musician friends. And also please leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That really helps us reach more people, help more people like you. Uh, And we don't Say that often enough. So I just want to remind you: if you want to help us out, and if you appreciate the show, we'd really appreciate you giving us a review. And as I said, in return, we always listen to your input and try to make the most helpful content we can for
0: you here. So definitely, yeah, yeah. And if you share our episodes on like Instagram or anything like that, please do tag us. Oh yeah, it's like we really enjoy seeing that. Absolutely. So my Instagram
1: is at Benedict and Malcolm is at Malcolm Flood. Exactly. Cool. Thank you okay. so much for uh, for all of that, and thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye. Hey, friend. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this one, just know that this is just a tiny fraction, a small taste of what we can actually do to help you completely transform your recordings and mixes forever. If you are really serious about your music, if you want to reach your goals as a self-recording artist, then please apply now for the Self-Recording Syndicate, our coaching program that takes you from where you are to being able to completely independently produce and release exciting sounding music forever. If you join that program, you're going to be part of a very, very passionate, dedicated, committed group of self-recording artists from all around the world. And you're going to get a roadmap, guidance, feedback, personal access to me and the team. We're going to do everything, literally everything we can to help you make the best recordings you can possibly make. And it all starts with a free first call, completely free, no strings attached, best case scenario. We're going to end up working together and we're going to completely transform the way your music sounds. Worst case scenario, you're going to get an hour of free coaching and an action plan that you can then take and implement on your own. So if that sounds interesting to you, get started now with your first completely free call by going to theselfrecordingband.com slash call or just click the link in the show notes. See you next week.